This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We are walking through the upper room discourse of Jesus in John 13 through 17. And this morning we are in chapter 16, the back half of chapter 16. And Jesus here is giving us the way to joy, peace, and courage. John chapter 16, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 33. John 16 and verses 16 through 33, the way to joy, peace, and courage. Jesus says, in a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? In a little while, you will not see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me because I am going to the Father. They said, what is this he is saying in a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while, you will not see me, and again, in a little while, you will see me. Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. You also will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day, you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me, and you will leave me alone. Yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at these words of, of Jesus in the upper room as the cross looms the next day, as our Lord, even though he knows he's facing the cross, seeks to comfort his disciples and show the, the, the way to, 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 to joy and to, and to peace and to courage. 
Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak to us as disciples today. For Lord, we, we need these things. We need the transformation that can only come by way of your spirit. And so deal with each one of us today right at the point of our deepest need. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, Mere Christianity, <clears throat> gives a brilliant illustration about uh, a group of people who have, have been in the dark all of their lives. And so the, these people have, have never seen one another. They've been in pitch darkness all of their lives, but then they are told that a light is going to be turned on. Well, because they've been in the dark all of their lives, and they've only heard one another, they, they may imagine that when the light comes on, they're all going to look exactly alike. But of course, we know that what's going to happen is that when the light is turned on, what the light is going to actually do is bring out their individual features. And, and Lewis says, so it is with what the light of Christ does in our lives. Because when the light of Christ is turned on in our lives, it brings out who we were meant to be. The light of Christ brings out the you that you were always meant to be. That's his transforming power. And in this text, we see three transformations that Christ brings about. And the first one is from sorrow to joy. From sorrow to joy. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, in a little while you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. Jesus here is talking about his death and resurrection. He knows that the very next day he is going to be crucified. He is going to die. And it was not a mirage. He was really going to die. John 19 gives us a, a touching, loving picture of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus coming to, to, to lovingly care for the body of Jesus. Turn over just a few pages to John 19. And let's look there at verses, 19, at verses 38 through 42. Chapter 19 and verses 38 through 42. The Bible says after this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now this is really powerful because both of these men had formerly been captive to fear. Fear of other, other people. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a, a member of the council himself, prominent Jewish council, had been in fear of his own people, it says in verse 38, and it says that in verse 39 that Nicodemus, who we met in chapter 3, originally came to Jesus when? At night, under the cover of darkness because of his fear. But see, now both of these men have the courage to, to come and risk their own lives 
by, by taking the body of Jesus and associating themselves with Jesus. They, they, they throw caution to the wind at this point. And they come and they, they lovingly are, are caring for the, the body of, of Jesus no matter what it might cost them. And it says in verse 40 that they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby. And then they walked away from the tomb, shattered in sorrow. One of the hardest things for grieving families is to, 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 to be at that grave and see that casket and, and, and then have to, to, to walk away from their loved one who has passed. I'll never forget my, my mother telling me that one of the defining moments of her life was the, being at the grave of my brother, my infant brother who passed just a couple of years before I was born. And this was a child that my mom had carried all the way to term, pregnancy normal, carried to term, uh, birth smooth. The child was beautiful, beautiful baby boy, but had a respiratory issue that today would not be a huge problem, but at that point was fatal. And she had carried this baby for nine months and held him in her arms for two days of life. And she said, I'll never forget sitting there on that day with this tiny casket in front of me and then having to walk away from that. The, the, the pain and the sorrow that death brings. And we don't want to minimize it. But the sorrow of death is not the end of the Christian story. Because what else does Jesus say here in verse 16? He says, he says in verse 16, in a little while you will no longer see me, that's death, but again in a little while you will see me, that's resurrection. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And Jesus says, it will not be long. That period when you no longer see me, it, it will not be a long time. He says here in verse 16, in a little while, in a little while. And see, for us, it will be just a little while. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, for our momentary light affliction, is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. The affliction that we deal with in this life, the pains and the sorrows of this life, are a moment, a moment in time. Christ could come in victory any day. And, and even if Christ tarries during the course of our life, and even if we live a long life, it is still a moment compared to the eternal weight of glory that is waiting for us in Christ. Verses 17 and, and 18. 
Jesus says, then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? In a little while you will not see me, again in a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father, they said, what is this he's saying in a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. See, they have no category for these things. They have no category for a Messiah who would be crucified at the hands of the Romans. They had no category for uh, someone who would be raised from the dead in the middle of history. They believed in the resurrection of, of all people at the end, but one person being raised in the middle of history, even though the Gospels tell us they had seen Jesus raise three people. The daughter of Jairus, the, the son of the widow at Nain, Lazarus. They had seen these things, but still, and even after three years of being with Jesus and being taught, they still have no category for these things. Now, what does that tell us about us? It tells us how much we have to learn because the old ways of thinking and the old ways of living are like so ingrained in our lives. And, and, and we, what we need is not Christian light or Bible light. Even after three years of Jesus teaching, they still don't get it. They can't put this together. What that means is that we have to keep digging, keep learning, right? Keep growing. It takes time. Look at verse 20. Jesus says, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Again, Jesus is just totally upfront with us about the sorrows of this life, about the, the weeping that takes place in this life. He says, you will weep and mourn. See, Jesus, Jesus knows tears. Turn to the 11th chapter of John, John chapter 11. This is the scene when Jesus hears that Lazarus has been sick and Jesus is, is, is on his way, but then Lazarus dies while Jesus is still in, in route. And he comes upon the scene of death and he comes upon the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. Now, these three people were extremely close to Jesus. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were three siblings. They were young adults. Their parents are never mentioned, so the parents almost certainly had died. And so these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, had become like a little brother and two little sisters to Jesus. Whenever he was ministering, in Jerusalem, he would stay with them. He would stay at their house. And so the relationship was tight. It was close. And so Jesus arrives, and first of all, Martha comes out. And we, we see his encounter with Martha here, and, and beginning with verse 20. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. And now she goes and she gets Mary. Mary, who had just who loved to just sit at the feet of Jesus and, and listen. They were very close. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, Jesus here has the reactions that we often have in the face of of death. There's anger here. If you look at verse 33, when he sees Mary crying, it, it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And that, that, that phrase, deeply moved, literally it, mean, literally, it means anger. Jesus is angry. Angry at what? Angry at death. Angry at what death does to people. He sees these people that he loves who are hurting, weeping, torn apart by death. And he is angry, angry at what death does to people because Jesus knows that this is not the world that, that, that his father created through him. Remember, Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was there at creation. He knew what God's design was like. He knew that God created a world with no death, no suffering, no tears, none of that. And then he, he sees this scene where just death is tearing people apart and sees their sorrow and sees their tears. And he's angry because he knows this is not the world that my father created through me. You know, the miracles in John are called signs. And they're called signs because they point to something. The miracles of Jesus are signs that point to the world as it is meant to be. They point to the perfect creation that God created in the beginning, and they point to the perfect creation that Jesus is going to bring about when he returns, the new heaven and earth. I love what Dane Ortland says in his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, Miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. We are so used to a fallen world that sickness, disease, pain, and death seem natural. In fact, they are the interruption. 
This is not the world that God originally created, nor is it the world that will be recreated when Christ returns. German theologian Jürgen Moltmann says, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Jesus feels anger and then he feels sorrow. It says that he, he, he wept. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Jesus weeps with those who weep. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus is a high priest who can sympathize with our infirmities because he's been there. He knows and he understands tears. He has shed tears. Psalm 56.8 says this. The psalmist is speaking to, to God and the psalmist says to God, you yourself have recorded my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? So the word bottle here, um, in the Hebrew, it, 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 it means a water skin. And it was a, it was a type, of, uh, type of container where in the desert climate where they would keep precious liquid. You know, in the desert, water, it's precious, and especially in the ancient world. Water was such a precious thing. Every drop of water is precious when you're in the desert. And so they would, they would put, the, put the water in this, in this special, the special skin that would preserve it and that would keep it from evaporating. When the psalmist says to God, you have, you have put my tears in your bottle what he's saying is that I know my tears are precious to you. Listen, your tears are precious to God. God, has, God sees every tear that you cry. And one day, he will wipe them all away. Revelation 21 tells us about that day. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grieve, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Christ is going to return and a new world is going to be birthed. And that image of birth is where Jesus goes next in verses 21 and, and 22. Look at it. It says, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I, I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. So Jesus uses the illustration here of, of, of labor and delivery, and a mom holding a, a newborn. And labor's never easy, not even now, but it was pretty much probably always hard <laughs> in biblical times. But Jesus says that as painful as that labor is for that mom, that the pain of the labor is overwhelmed by the joy when she gets to hold her precious 
baby. And Jesus says, that's the way it's going to be for you. He says, you're, you're going to feel intense pain and sorrow, but then you're going to see me again, and that sorrow is going to be just completely overwhelmed with joy. There are a couple of things here in these verses that I had never seen until studying this text um, this week. Um, studied the text before, just hadn't seen these things before. Um, first of all, I think Jesus here is almost certainly channeling Isaiah 26. So in, in Isaiah 26, you see this image of, 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 of labor. And in this case, Isaiah is talking about Israel. And, and Israel is, is in labor, but they fail to give birth to a new world. It says, as a pregnant woman is about to give birth, writes and cries out in her pain, so we were before you, Lord. We became pregnant. We writhed in pain. We gave birth to wind. In other words, Israel fails to bring birth, give birth to a new world, but the Messiah will not fail. Because then he says in verse 19 of Isaiah 26, your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for you will be covered with the morning dew. In other words, what Israel fails to do, the Messiah will do. The Messiah will come again and give birth to a new world, a new creation with resurrected, glorified bodies. There's another thing here um, that's, that's really cool to see. In verse 21, the, the, the word at time, she has pain because her time has come. Literally, it's, it's hour. Her hour has come. So the word hour is very important in the Gospel of John. You see it through, sprinkled throughout. It begins in chapter 2 at the wedding in Cana, and when Jesus turns water into wine, and you know, Mary approaches him about the crisis, you know, they've run, they've run out of wine, uh, and Jesus says to her, my hour has not yet come. And then sprinkle throughout the Gospel of John, you see references, Jesus talks about my hour, my hour. When Jesus talks about his hour, he's talking about not only his crucifixion and resurrection, but also his, his ascension and his exaltation, and ultimately his return. That is his hour. And so sometimes we hear people talk about the end times as if that's something that's in the future, but biblically, we are in the end times. His hour, which is an eschatological thing, that was inaugurated at the death and resurrection of the king, and it will be consummated at the return of the king. So we are in that time now. There's a second transformation that we see here in this text. Not only from sorrow to joy, but secondly, from turmoil to peace. From turmoil to peace. Peace. 
And let's go down to verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. This is not the first time in the upper room he's talked about peace. Remember in chapter 14 and verse 27, look at 14, 27. Jesus said there, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. In the upper room, Jesus knows that these guys are filled with inner turmoil. He knows that inside, they are just roiling like a sea that's just upchurned. You remember that time on the Sea of Galilee when there was a storm at sea, a violent storm, and, and the disciples were in the boat, and they thought they were gonna, all going to die, and Jesus just sleeping peacefully in the boat. And so they shake, they wake him up, and they say, don't you care if we perish? And Jesus just gets up, and he, Jesus speaks directly to the wind and the waves as the Lord of creation. And he just says, peace, be still. And that raging sea just becomes like glass. He speaks peace to us. He brings us peace. First of all, peace with God. Peace with God. We see that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God is holy. Sin cannot be in his holy presence. And so therefore, sinners like us have to be reconciled to a holy God like him. The good news of the gospel is that that on the cross, Jesus took our sin so that we can take his righteousness and so that we can be clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ and come into the presence of God 24-7 because we come in Christ's righteousness because we've been put at a state of peace with God. And then second, in Christ, we have the peace of God. Philippians chapter four and verses six and seven says, don't worry about anything but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Even in the midst of our trials, we can have a deep, deep well of peace and we can know that it is well. The third transformation that we see here is from cowardice to courage. Look at verse 32. Jesus says here, indeed an hour is coming, and it has come, when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Jesus knows that what's going to happen is they're going to leave the upper room, go into the garden of Gethsemane, and these guys are going to bug out. Jesus is going to be arrested, and and, you know we think of Peter as the one who uh, denies Christ, And he did, but all of them just scattered. They were out of there in the moment of Christ's greatest need. So Jesus Jesus knows. He knows these guys are going to be cowards before the night is over. 
but see, he can see through that to the, to the people that they will be after the resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. These same guys who were such whips that night, most of them were gonna be martyred. We're gonna give their lives for the gospel. All of them were gonna be incredibly persecuted for the gospel, and they were gonna show incredible courage. And Jesus takes us from cowardice to courage. He says in verse 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Again, we see Jesus being so upfront about the fact that this world includes suffering, tribulation. You will have suffering in this world. But what can give us courage in the midst of suffering is knowing that Christ has conquered. Be courageous. Take heart. I have conquered the world. I have overcome the world. What gives us courage is knowing that Christ has conquered. The head of the snake has been crushed. The decisive battle has been waged and won. And now Jesus reigns victorious and will return victorious. And that's what can impart courage to us. We live in the light of his victory. We know how the story ends. And we know that his purposes are unstoppable. Story about his unstoppable purposes. One of our workers in France told me the story about a Muslim girl. And uh, this is someone who's in France, but they're working with North African people. And... uh, In cities in southern Europe, there's a project which teams like like from from our church can take part in. I've taken part in one of these teams before. In fact, the first international trip I ever took was to be a part of one of these teams at, at a port in southern Europe where hundreds of thousands of North African people are coming and going. They, they take ferries across the Mediterranean back and forth between their home country in North Africa and these cities in southern Europe. And a lot of times there in southern Europe, uh, believers are there. They're there with Bibles, with packets, packets that contain the Bible and, and things that tell people about Christ. And so in this city in southern France, there's this distribution project that's going on. Believers are there giving out God's word and things. Um, And along about that same time, this Muslim girl has a dream. And in the dream, her grandparents, she's in the cemetery where her grandparents are buried, her Muslim grandparents. And in the dream, her grandparents are calling out to her from the grave, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. And she says to them, but I follow Muhammad. This is what we know. And they call back to her, but Muhammad is here with us. He can't help you. Follow Jesus. And she says to them, how can I follow him if I don't know him? And they call back to her, everything you need to know is in the book. And the dream ends. And the next day, this girl is, is, is walking down the street And there's a car that's coming from the port. 
And as they drive away from the port, they open up the packet that they have received and they see, you know, this is a Bible and it's a bunch of Christian stuff. And so they take it and just chunk it right out of the window. And guess where it lands? It goes over a fence and it lands right at her feet, the feet of this girl. Everything you need to know is in the book. And she picks it up and she reads the book and she follows Christ. I want to tell you, his purposes are unstoppable. He has conquered. His purposes in this world will prevail and his purposes in your life will prevail. Whatever trials you may go through, they become part of his plan. He is conquered. We live in the light of his victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good news of Christ, the victory that Christ has, has won. And right now, as we just come before him, as we do business with the Lord, I would ask you, where are you in your life as it relates to Christ? First of all, do you know him? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? You can know him. The work has been done. Christ died for sinners like you and me. He is risen. He reigns. He has triumphed. And he will welcome you to know him. He invites you to know him. Turn to him. Trust him. Repent and believe. Where are you in your walk with Christ? What is it in your life? What's the area of life that right now the Spirit of God is dealing with you about? What is it that you just need to take and lay before him today? Right now, give that to the Lord. You may want to come and pray at the altar in a few moments. Father, we pray that your spirit would have your will and your way in our lives today. Lord, transform us. Transform us in the light of your presence. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.